Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Are your goals too ambitious or are you holding yourself back? What's the opposite of imposter syndrome? And is there anyone in your life who challenges you to get out of your own way? Optimize and heroic founder Brian Johnson returns for part four in our series that explores his growth process for launching a company aimed at changing the world. In today's conversation, we talk about ambition, assessing risk, and ensuring that we're operating from our inner wisdom instead of our inner Johnny Knoxville. Before we start the show, Brian has recently unlocked his flagship program, Optimize. This incredible collection of book summaries, philosopher's notes, courses, and master classes is now completely free. It's an incredible value, and you can learn more by visiting optimize.me slash the new man. How about that? There we go. That's a, now we're on the radio. I hear you though. Let me see. Oh, that was why. Say something now. Hello, hello, one, two. Oh, I get to hear my sexy man. This is the this is the new man. Welcome to the new today, late night with the with the new man. You've done that before. <laughs> it actually does have a visceral effect, by the way. That's like a whether you want it or not, you feel that down here. Let's go. Late night with the new man. And late being probably like nine, nine thirty. That would be late for the new man. <laughs> Two hours after I went to bed last night. <laughs> Yeah, brother. Good to see you. Got the specs. You. Your IQ goes up like 30 points as soon as you put on glasses. Do you know that? That's kind of the, um, that's the game I'm playing. Dad and I look at screens all day now. So he's got a little blue light in him. Uh, what's uh, just kind of catching in? Everything's, everything's going good otherwise? Everything's great, man. Feel blessed. Genuinely just feel blessed. And, um, you know, it feels like a, a sacred opportunity um, to have the support that we have. I've obviously worked really hard for a long time to be in this position and, 
Um, you know, even just the idea of flirting with making history this time in a much more significant way is, is no joke. Like it's, it's a non-zero probability. You're saying I got a chance. Uh, it's still single digits, but it's moving from, from non-zero to we got a real whole integer there, you know, it's exciting. Well, maybe we should jump in there. Like, let's just roll in. So, cause that there, there's something about grandiosity. And I've always appreciated your willingness to go for the big thing. And I talk to so many guys that are, that, that mention this imposter syndrome stuff, right? So there's this, there's these two sides, right? There's this thing like, I'm going to go big, go big or go home. I've got these big audacious goals, big, hairy, audacious goals. I'm going to, let's go for that. And then on the other side is this like, who the hell am I? Who the hell am I to be? even having this conversation or to be shooting for this. I'm looking at the wall behind you, all of these legends that are in that world uh, of the world. And it's like, yes, there's this sense of like calling you up and out. And uh, let's play with that because somewhere in there, I wonder if there's a way to help our guy. Cause I know some guys that, that miss their edge. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, my edge would be to do ABC, but I'm going to go so far beyond it. You know, my edge would be to run a 5k for instance, I'm going to shoot for the hundred mile race, the next thing. And it's like, that's not your edge. That's not actually the big thing. That's a cool goal to have, but it's not the next step. So I just, I want to play with this a little bit and how you work this and how does it serve you um, instead of overwhelm you? Cause that, that's where some guys can just get blown out. We have a weekend to discuss this, correct? You just framed it very, very You got five minutes because I got another thing I want to ask you too. I love it. It's really funny because actually if I pulled out my notes from my last chat with Phil, we talked about this. And again, you know, Phil, you know, he's worked with people that have been there and done that and achieved at a very, very high level. Um, And he says, you know, a lot of them can't handle it because they don't have the discipline. So we talked about the fact that if you're going to hold uh, really ambitious goals. And there's so many themes I want to touch on from Abraham Lincoln and his fierce ambition and how that informed me to be willing to embrace mine um, and all of that. But that, I, that willingness to, to tap into what Phil calls infinite potentiality, right? And what's truly possible right now, right? And that the only way you can possibly do that is with personal humility, where it's not about you, and unbelievable discipline. So you're simultaneously and really, literally, I wrote this down as you were describing it. You, you, you said this, how do I go out? And then I drew, you got to go in. So you need to have, and you and I have talked about this, however many times we've done one of these chats, what have I come back to? I didn't have this last time we chatted, my tattoo arate, right? So moment to moment to moment, the greater the challenge, the more committed you need to be to your fundamentals. The most basic, mundane, microtransactions, as Phil says. David Allen says the same thing. You want the sublime? You better go through the mundane. And it's not a once-in-a-while thing. It's moment to moment to moment. Are you showing up, eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, etc.? Anyway, we can unpack that for a while. But just to conclude, I think that when one is willing to embrace a fierce ambition and be willing to dream what may have, they may have perceived to be impossible before, they need to go into the most mundane things and have more discipline than ever. And that's how you avoid the imposter syndrome. And I actually, you know, had a conversation with some Navy SEAL guys that run a mental performance working group. And they invited me in to talk about some of my stuff related to ancient wisdom and modern science. And they brought this up. Said, hey, a lot of SEALs are performing at the highest level, but even they feel like they have imposter syndrome. 
And I said, look, from my vantage point, the way to deal with this idea that you're not, you know, pretending to be someone else is don't pretend to be someone else. First of all, have the humility to be transparent. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We don't need to pretend that and do the work. I know I'm not posing because A, I don't pretend I'm perfect and B, I show up, dude, and I'm not perfect, but I show up. And when I don't, I learn from it and I get better and then there's a there's a calm confidence that comes from that you know and again the opposite of imposter syndrome one could say would be confidence so my whole thing as you know is i teach anti-fragile confidence the harder things are the stronger i get i'm not fragile or resilient i'm anti-fragile and confidence as we've discussed etymologically means intense trust intense trust not that things will go perfectly but that you have what it takes to do whatever you need to do no matter how things go and you only get trust in yourself, you know, the same way you get trust in any relationship. Do what you say you're going to do. And I, again, I'm, I, that's what I'm committed to more than anything else, is to be worthy of the opportunity. And let me get back to work, get back to work, get back to work. Anyway, I just said a ton. We can unpack that for two weekends. Yeah. What do you think? Obviously, in my work, when I'm coaching people, <clears throat> they come in with their goals. And I'm, always, I'm, I'm most curious about who is setting the goal. So when you talked about your conversation with Phil and coming back to going within or, or looking outside, you know, if we, if we look at the IFS model, which I'm a huge fan of, um, there's a sense that this can be coming from core self, which aligns with a lot of the philosophical aspects of, you know, who am I truly like big S self? What am I here to create? What is here to be expressed through me as me in this lifetime? What is my calling? Those bigger questions. And then there are parts, the parts of us that are typically wounded children, right? The parts of us that had to learn how to manage and strategize and protect us as we grew up. And unfortunately, a lot of those parts are the ones that are setting our goals. If I do this, I'll finally be safe once and for all, running exoneration. Or if I do this, I'll finally be worthy once and for all. You know, it's whatever that is. But, but a lot of those places, there's these really weird conditions to those goals. And I often find that those goals aren't very inspiring. They tend to be very transactional and short lived yeah. because they're not necessarily here. What am I here to give or what am I here to experience or share? It's more like, what am I here to get? And so yeah. I'll pause there. But, but I, as I listen to goals, I'm like, how am I, how am I feeling about this goal? Where's that coming from? And, and, you know, it's, it's the difference. Yeah. Like, I really want to, I really want to develop my body because I want to be healthy and stronger. I really want to develop my body because I want to look good for this wedding I'm going to in three weeks. Yeah. Well then I literally reread a note this morning. I'll go straight there. Um, called natural born heroes. Unbelievably good note by a guy named Christopher McDougal who wrote born to run. Right. He talks about exactly that. What are you getting fit for? You getting fit so you can narcissistically, you know, put a six pack selfie up on Instagram or, and he quotes Hebert, whoever, how you pronounce that guy's name, we started the natural movement kind of philosophy. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, he yeah. Said, he said, that, that's, you're an animal. That, that's not worthy of you. Be fit to be useful, but be fit because it's only strong people that are going to be capable of responding to life's challenges. So be fit to be useful. And to me, I get it. And you're really good at unpacking the obstacles and the kind of, you know, archetypal and real issues we all face. I'm the son of an alcoholic who was the son of an alcoholic who killed himself. Did that impact me? Yeah, that impacted me. But the way that I orient to my own purpose, and again, I've worked on this hard for 20, 25 years now, is what is the best, most heroic version of myself 
called to do? What am I here to do? You know, and, and Gandhi comes to mind where Gandhi said, your job is actually to reduce yourself to zero. Reduce yourself to zero so you can be a conduit to something bigger than yourself. And you can go Richard Rohr, the great Franciscan monk, or Desmond Tutu that, hey, look, we're just this tiny little light bulb, but we need to be plugged in. We need to be screwed in to something bigger than ourselves. And it's your job to screw yourself in. And, and Gandhi was one of the most disciplined human beings on the planet. And what happens, he says, when you actually have the discipline to show up and commit to something bigger than yourself, you simultaneously reduce yourself to zero and you become a conduit and you have what he called soul force, which is what I've obviously talked a lot about. And then you become what he was, which was the Mahatma, the great soul. But if you're not willing to embrace ambition because you are so afraid that it's coming from a negative place, which is where I lived for a very big part of my life, then you're never going to do anything. So I think we need to have the courage to say, you know what? I'm not perfect. What do you mean my about ambition- that? What, 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 what was that? You lived there, meaning you, yeah, you pushed I, I away lived, your ambition? I was, I was so ambitious. And again, we've, this is exciting to go into, and we've talked about this in different ways for years now, you and I, in these conversations. Mm-hmm. But I was you know, fiercely ambitious as a young man, and I was always you know, had a good core, but I didn't have the practices and the skills, and it was a lot of extrinsic stuff. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to do these things. I'm sure to cover up some of the things that I had. Perfect. Then I turned it all off and I thought it's not spiritual or enlightened to be ambitious. So I'm not going to be, and I'm going to go do this and this and this, and you can never get away, get rid of that entirely. But I tried to get rid of it. Now what changed my world more than anything is another note, at least on this topic. And I keep, you know, I've done all my notes, right? 600 philosopher's notes. I keep two of them in a stack that is always ready at hand. One of them at the top on leadership in turbulent times by Doris Kearns Goodwin, a great scholar um, in which she features Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and um, Lyndon B. Johnson. And she said, look, this is a book on great leadership and, and leaders who led in turbulent times, right? So Lincoln obviously led us through the Civil War, FDR, through World War II, extraordinary leaders. Without them, you and I wouldn't be talking right now, literally, full stop. Certainly not in the world we live in. Um, and she said they all differed in their leadership traits and in the cultural context in which they led, but they were all exactly the same on one thing, which is they were ferociously ambitious. And she uses that word, fiercely ambitious. But an important but, not in the Instagram celebrity, check me out, I got 10 million followers and I made this much money this year and I'm better than you. But in a, in a humble, I want to be worthy. Lincoln literally wanted to be worthy of being um, put into the common book of humanity. He wanted to make history. He wanted to be a worthy leader that actually served that profoundly. And then he did the work in order to be worthy of that. He won his internal civil war, which is what he tells me every morning. Every morning I go through these heroes and they bark at me. They give me a command to do something that day. Abraham Lincoln, every single morning tells me, win the civil war within yourself so you can win it outside in longer chat, but we are in a civil war right now. And it's actually more pernicious than the prior one or even World War II because it's invisible. It's not even an articulated enemy. So you're in this battle, COVID-19, pandemic levels of anxiety, depression, political polarization, social dilemma, environmental degradation. We're at war, but there's no real enemy that you can actually identify and then do something about. Anyway, he tells me that every morning and then he reminds me, our ambition is fierce. Then I immediately follow that up with another thinker I admire, Jim Collins. 
Jim Collins is the 21st century, you know, Peter Drucker, business strategist. He studied leadership. He says what he calls level five leadership moves past what we're talking about in terms of egoic ambition. And a level five leader holds both. They, he calls it the genius of the end. They're able to simultaneously have this intense ambition and personal humility combined with what he calls indomitable will. So they are unbelievably ferociously committed to huge goals, and it's not about them. They've subjugated their personal ego in service to something bigger than themselves via personal humility, and yet they maintain this fierce commitment to doing what they feel called to do. That's how I aspire to lead, and that's you know, how, I've, how I continue to work on subjugating the ego in a healthy way. And again, longer chat that you and I have had. If you try to get rid of your ego, you just lost. You actually need to have a very, very healthy, strong ego plugged into something bigger than yourself so you can shine idiosyncratically, iconoclastically, you know, uh, the way that these heroes did. They were all unbelievable iconoclasts who had done the work, identified who they were, what their gifts were, and then they ferociously, fiercely, unapologetically gave themselves to the world. Um, Again, I just said a lot and we can unpack that one for quite a while as well. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you. I don't think that it's about killing the ego or anything, but it is about being curious, like who is who is driving this or who is asking this. And um, it brings me back to to the the pictures on the wall, the practice that you have in the morning. I noticed that sometimes uh, when I'm working with folks that uh, it, well, let's say imposter syndrome showing up or there's just this I, I don't know how. I don't know how I would do ABC. It's like, really, they haven't even done a Google search. They haven't done all these things. Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, that tells me that for me, when they that shows up. They should feel like imposters, by the way. <laughs> and they may need to pull their goal back. No question about it. But I mean, they should feel. That's a good, healthy feeling when you're not worthy of the challenge you're, you're setting for yourself. Right. But to me, it's always like, who's in the room? Who's in the room? The room. Oh, it's it, the me. The version of me in the, in the room is eight years old. I'm scared. Right. And, the, and it's not that eight-year-old's job to navigate the terrain of this big goal or this, this thing that's supposed to happen in your marriage, or you've got a fix in your marriage, or you got a thing that's going on in your health or whatever. That's not an eight-year-old job essentially. And so when I have, have them access more of this adult self, like what do I have to do to help you access this core self, this adult self? And from that place, they're like, I know exactly what I need to do. I need to have this conversation. I need to do ABC. They don't need advice. They just need to get out of their own way and go. And so I'm imagining for you, well, I used to do this practice. I, 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 it'd be good to continue it. But I used to think, who would, who would I have to be? Like, what would I have to access within myself to essentially be comfortable in the room, hanging out with people that I admire. And, you know, somebody like a Dave Chappelle, a Chris Rock, you know, one of my musical uh, idols was Sting growing up, like people I deeply admired. And like, instead of putting them on a pedestal, but to like really just own my space in the room, not that I've done all these big achievements, but I'm just a fucking human being too. I take a piss with my, the thing and, you know, why do I do it? I, I, you know what I mean? It's like, I put up my pants on just like you, like just to own my space and not create this, this gap. And, and I find it's just like, oh, wow, I can actually feel that in my body. And maybe somebody listening right now, it's just like, I can feel that in my body that I actually feel different in myself, capital S self, when yeah, I access yeah. that. And I'm curious if that's similar to what's happening for you when you've got those images around you. It's like, get up, big boy. We want the big boy in the room. We want the, we want the adult. We want big Brian. I want that guy. So yeah. I put myself in the middle, you know, with the asterisk of let's not go, uh, whatever on it. But that, that is the, 
I mean, there's so much here again. It's it's that eudaimonic self, right? That that daimon, that wisdom that is always there, that that uh, best, most heroic version of ourselves. Which again, this is how we architected the entire heroic app. So my our coach program is architected around this, which is you got to know the game you're playing. So objective one in our coach program and and uh, in our heroic app is you're playing the wrong game. First, you need to wake people up. They're playing the hedonic, hey, go impress people with your fame and your wealth and your hotness and good luck because you're gonna be unhappy when you play that game. But we're seduced to think that's the only game and the most important game. It's not. For 2,500 years, all great wisdom traditions have told us there's a better game, which is be the best, most heroic version of yourself, et cetera. So first we need to wake people up to that reality. Just like Morpheus, what do you, you wanna take? Which pill are you gonna take? You gonna stay asleep or are you gonna wake up? Once people get what we're talking about, you've been playing the wrong game, then I move into anti-fragile confidence, which we just talked about. You gotta start earning your trust because you're not worthy of these huge aspirations unless you are. And there's only one way to build that trust, which is do what you say you're gonna do. Never perfectly, but more and more consistently. I've gotta gotta underline that. I've gotta underline that because so much of us, we don't trust ourselves. We know we break agreements with ourselves all day long. But we shouldn't. What do you mean? So we, if we are not honoring the things we say we will do and that are important to us, we should not trust ourselves full stop. Got it. You must earn trust with yourself every single day. And when you get that, because the seven-year-old or the 10-year-old is not only afraid, they're lazy. Most people are settled with mediocrity. Perfect. I'll do what everyone else does, which is about gutter level standards. You shouldn't trust yourself. Why should you? You, you know, you do all the things that you say you don't want to do and you don't consistently do the things you want to do, you are not worthy of your trust. You should feel like an imposter when you set these big goals. That doesn't mean you are if you actually lived from the best, most heroic version of yourself, that identity. And to go there, we talked about the game, you're playing, you got to play it well, anti-fragile confidence, et cetera. The third thing I talk about in, in the coach and then the heroic is you got to simplify self-help and, and focus on what we call the big three. And we call it the big three cubed. I've taken it a step further in heroic. Energy, work, and love. Life is simple. Figure out who you are at your best. Energy, work, and love. Get clear on your identity, right? So who are you at your best energy-wise? I'm an athlete. I literally have created an identity for myself. Um, and if you look at my own arc and evolution, I have become that in my practices because i show up and i'm disciplined i'm grounded i'm strong i'm calm i'm confident i act like an athlete right and every single morning i journal i am an athlete at my best energy wise i am a leader at my best work wise i am a soulmate which has etymological meaning for me love wise and then i talk about the virtues i want to live and embody that day then i most importantly say i'm going to do these things to be in integrity with that identity. And I'm going to do the number one thing and the top three things. And when I teach this stuff, I I challenge people, try to have a bad day. If, and our app literally is architected. So when you're looking at your Fitbit score, I use an aura ring. While that is loading after a night of sleep, you will pick up, if I do my job and we do our job with the heroic app, you'll pick up the heroic app. And you will go tap, tap, tap. I'm committed to being this person. So you're not thinking about this on New Year's Eve and then forgetting about it the rest of the year. Every single morning, 
you're committing to and you're deciding to be that best version of yourself. And that identity that you're talking about that is always latently there is brought to the surface every single morning. And you recommit in a minute is how long our process will take to being the athlete who is disciplined and strong and grounded. And then to turning off your electronics early to get a good night of sleep. To I train in a certain way. So I do certain things. Um, I meditate for the hour in the morning. When I do these things repeatedly, I literally forge my identity. And the word identity, and I know I'm going off right now, James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits. The word identity literally etymologically means repeated beingness. So what you need to do is create the identity, the vision of who you are at your best. Then you need to repeatedly be that. And then magic happens. I get goosebumps. All of a sudden you are more and more consistently that best version of yourself. Then it gets exciting. And then the trust builds. And then the willingness to dream a little bigger and know you can actually execute on it builds. So that's how I architect um, the identity, the virtues, the, the behaviors, et cetera. And I think you're unquestionably spot on. And the question is, how do we operationalize that? So it's not a once in a while thing. It's a never perfect, but moment to moment to moment, at least we know what we committed to. You know, I'm yelling at my wife, wait, no, 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 no. It was don't interrupt her when she's telling me something. My kids are saying, hey, daddy, check out the Legos I built. And I literally set a goal for myself that day to respond to bids from my kids, which science says improves relationships. And so I'm conscious, my intention is set. And I, you know, more consistently act in integrity with that. And again, then you've earned trust. Then your power grows and grows and grows. And, you know, this, the, once thought impossible, as Stephen Kotler says in Rise of Superman, when you go 4% out of your comfort zone, but you do it day after day after day after day, he says the impossible is what's for breakfast. But you got to have the discipline to show, <clears throat> show up where you are and get just a little bit better um, to earn that trust and the ability to actually execute on those big dreams, you know? Yeah. L let's talk about what risk looks like from essentially we're describing just to keep it really general, two perspectives, right? Two general perspectives, right? So there's this more core self, and then there's this more, you're calling it hedonic kind of uh, small s self, right? The, the one that's much more self-centered, much more, uh, you know, what's in it for me kind of a thing. It's also a fear, it tends to be a fear-based thing, at least in my world. And so risk looks vastly different to those two versions of ourselves. And I'm wondering, you know, I, I will talk about what you just recently did with the business. I mean, it seems bold. It seems brash. It seems kind of stupid if you're uninformed to do something. But, but what if that's the doorway, right? So the thing out there, this guy feeling stuck, but what if the thing that feels like I really shouldn't do that. I really shouldn't go in that direction. What if that's the doorway for him, right? So recently you took your flagship program and made it free, essentially. Now I'm sure there's all kinds of business reasons where it made sense and it wasn't a, imagining, imagining a huge risk in there, but nonetheless, there's this, well, we sunk all this money in years into it. Why would we suddenly give it away? So I'm making some assumptions in there, but I want to try it, make it less about optimize being given away for free. And just that, like, where's this opportunity? And like, no, nah, I couldn't do that. But from this higher self aspect, it is the thing that is the doorway where we go. So I'll just wrap it up. See if you can get a question out of that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, and again, 
that's unbelievably rich. Uh, I keep my first page of notes, and we've talked about this, I think, too. I keep my first page of notes from my work with Phil five years ago, almost exactly. And on that page, we talked about the rules of action. And the second thing he said was death cookies. You got to be willing to eat death cookies, right? So you got to be willing to do the thing that scares you. And again, this is Joseph Campbell 101, who's on my wall as well. Um, But again, there's a virtue that is courage. And there's a vice of excess courage, which is rashness when you're being an idiot. And then there's a vice of deficiency of courage, which is being a coward and not taking proper risks. So you always want to balance this. Um, which is part of the conversation that you're... Well, how you're, do we discern that, right? Because I could be Johnny Knoxville on one end and then I can be, hey, this is a, yeah. this is a good, bold move and it's going to you know, yeah. help a lot of people. This is, and you, you hit on it before because you made the point that when we slow down long enough to get out of that treadmill of trying to impress people and we ask ourselves, what do I really want? That wisdom is always there. It's, I would say it's your higher self, your daimon is what the Greeks called it. And the, the Romans called it your genius, actually. That was their word for daimon. We all have this little mini-me that's really, really wise. Daimon. The diminutive of daimon is demon. So we also all have the demon. This is a 2,500-year-old challenge that all cultures have talked about. Um, vice versus virtue, good versus evil. I mean, we all have it within ourselves. And just knowing that is actually really a big part of the solution. Because then you realize you're never going to get rid of that little demon. You will always have that version of you. Perfect. As all people across all cultures across all time have. Yet you also have this inspired big self, capital S, daimon version of you. And you just need to more consistently pay attention to the daimon and do what it, he or she is encouraging you to do. Um, Then I would offer it becomes much easier. And this is why I obsess about you want to be a good hero, which is the, obviously the term we use a lot, which means protector in ancient Greek. It's not tough guy or killer or bad guy. It's protector. We're all called to be heroes in my worldview, but you better do the work. So then, then the eating, the moving, the sleeping, the breathing, get your physiology right so your psychology is right. If you're not well rested, um, you don't know how to train your mind to slow down from constant inputs, good luck. You, 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 you will not be able to. Life will look opaque to you. You will not know what the right decisions are. And again, this is why I meditate an hour every morning. It is my secret weapon. It's like crazy as a conduit to that thing we're talking about. Well, how much of this do you play out? You know, if, if you've got this idea, I'm going to do ABC. How much does somebody like Phil come into play as an, as an ass, like weighing these things out, even just like expressing it, hearing it come out of your mouth, like that's freaking insane, but I know that's true. That's what I need to do. Or yeah. as soon as I say that, I'm like, Oh, that was really dumb. I shouldn't be doing that. Like, no, I got goosebumps saying that. So then for me, it's a, let's say threefold process and it's more complex than that, but threefold. One, I'm ruthless on my fundamentals. My sleep is everything, as we've talked about so many times, because I'm a, I'm a circus if I don't get a good night of sleep, full stop. You don't want to be around me if I'm not well-rested. Um, so eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, etc. Step two is I do not let inputs into my world until I have meditated for an hour, which is my conduit to my daimon. I have so many creative ideas that I unapologetically write down during my meditation. It's heroic meditation for me. You know, I'm not trying to go to the Himalayas. I'm trying to change the world. So I do my breath work for 12 minutes, clear my mind. Then I channel my heroes, bring them in. They, they encourage me. Then I do my virtues, then emptiness, and then vision. And that's it, just what I do. And I've done it for a year. The clarity that I get in that is, is 
still astonishing me. Then I still don't go online. I spend 90 minutes in deep work. And I focus on what is truly the most important thing right now in my life, which, you know, business-wise. And I do that with a well-rested, fresh mind that is disconnected with creative distinctions. And I've often said, if that's all I did, and I literally stopped working after that period of time, the amount of, of energy I can create in our business is crazy. And you do that not once in a while, but every single day. And for me, it literally is 365 days a year. Now, at the end of that, I have a lot of clarity. Like I, I have a lot of clarity. Then I have a few people to whom I reach out to go to the next level. Phil and I meet twice a week now for the last year. And my growth has accelerated in large part because of that. Because when I talk to Phil, who is believable in having worked with people at a world-class level, and I bring to him these ideas and he forces me into my discipline, is it has to be moment to moment to moment if you want to sustain infinite potential. So he forces you into your discipline. What does that mean? He reminds me, and I don't need to be reminded because I got a tattoo reminding me and he and I are oh, so aligned and I know this. Every single great teacher, every single great teacher across every ancient wisdom tradition, across every mental toughness practitioner tells us moment to moment to moment to moment, you better show up if you want to have that trust I just talked about. And so in the call, but, is he is, is that what he's doing or is he just giving you no, the space to talk or what's the process think, like? Uh, the process is, Phil, how are you? I'm doing great. What's best about your life right now, Phil? Uh, this is going on. That is awesome. Then we get into it. And then it's, you know, maybe I bring a, a vision I have or a challenge I'm facing or success I just experienced. That's actually a good encapsulation of it. Um, and the way he likened it, it was, is like, he put his hand on my shoulder, you know, like, like a good golf coach right there. That's what it feels like right there. And the moment that Phil and I, so I'm pretty confident when I come out of my meditation and deep work, but the moment Phil and I are aligned on it, I don't think about it again. And he has pointed out to me that he's never seen anyone do what I do. Once I have that clarity, I don't hesitate. And the way he likens it is, it's like a great running back. When they see a hole in the line of scrimmage, they hit it. They don't hesitate. Boom, they're through it. What's going on there? What do you think is happening for you in that process? Because I, I, you know, I can trust. imagine. It's, it's trust. So you're accessing trust. trust with yourself. And that- with something bigger than myself. And mm-hmm. I, I now trust myself to both connect to something bigger than myself and to believe, as Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln did, that I'm, I'm working for something bigger than myself. And that there's a certain level of mission that needs to be fulfilled. And I'm being called to do a certain something. And I'm willing to humbly submit myself to the process of it. Sacrifice is a huge part of my conversations with Phil. And he's like, dude, you cannot operate at this level and flinch. You're on a razor's edge. You've made a blood commitment, literally tattooed heroic on my arm. Um, And you cannot operate at this level and not show up moment to moment. It's your race car driver. You tell me what happens if he starts daydreaming about something stupid or he is out of integrity. So virtue is my secret weapon. Can I show up with Arte? Be the best version of myself moment to moment to moment. I think it's great to pull this out because, you know, we talk a lot about the fundamentals and there's a singular aspect of that. And then there's something that happens in your relationship that it's worthy of speaking twice a week for you. And it's not that Phil has the answers for you uh, about here's the answer to your, what you need to do. It, it sounds like there's a process there of just helping you really drill in and say, okay, I have this certainty now. Um, yeah. 
Is that it? We talk, it's so on, dude. Yeah, and we talk about this a lot. That you can't, you can't do the stuff that I'm now aspiring to do and the impact I'm trying to have alone. So you know, even you and I right now, in partnership together, co-creating, you know, together in this conversation, and, and then with the individual who is listening to this right now, that's a relationship that's really profound. It gives me tears in my eyes, you know. And so Phil and I have that. Obviously, I've got that with you. I've got that with my wife Alexandra, and and I'm blessed to have the support of our community. But that's it. It's that simultaneous individual and collective where you're doing the work to have the strength for two to show up with the strength we need to be a, a meaningful contributor, humbly playing your role well in partnership with others whose values are aligned and who are committed to doing what you all want to do together. And I find that in the microcosm of my chats with Phil to be one of the most powerful things. And then someone like Phil or another advisor with whom we have a lot of trust. And I literally talked to my financier equivalent of Phil this morning about my thoughts on the next round of financing. I talked to him, I don't need to think about it again. And again, I got another handful of people I really, whose opinion I really respect in different domains. Um, but I should also say I've gotten really good at being discerning. And you gotta know who you go to for what conversation. But it doesn't sound like you go to them for like the answer. It's more to help you find the answer for yourself. Cause you wouldn't just take what they said. You would be like, okay, that's 100%. an interesting perspective. Let me feel into it. hundred percent. So even when I coach and you know, we train 3,500 people in the optimized coach methodology now from 90 something countries, my number one retort as directive as I am in my coaching is never, you should do this. I, I don't think I've ever said that. And if I have, it's like, asterisks and very rare. What I say is, I think that's a great question to bring to your deep work with your daimon pre-inputs after a good night of sleep and tell me what you come back with. And I coached a little third grade girl the other day who was having a tough time taking her medication in the morning, right? She's just really, she came on to our coaching, our live Zoom coaching. One of our coaches is an elementary school teacher who brought her class on. <laughs> Unexpectedly, it was amazing. And this beautiful, brave little girl said, I'm having a tough time taking my medicine in the morning. Um, I used to be able to do it and I just, I'm really having a hard time. I'm wondering if you can help me. And so I'm thinking about our chat right now and I'm thinking this little girl's got a daimon. She knows she's got the wisdom in her. So I said, well, it sounds like you were able to do it at one point. What did you do? We want to go back to that past success. What were you doing when you were able to take your medicine? That's hard for you now. And she immediately said, oh, I would distract myself and I would I'd take it, but I'd be watching something. It gets tears in my eyes right now. I said, oh, well, that's amazing. I wonder if we tried that again, if that might work. And you got any other things you used to do? And she's like, yeah, I used to eat it with something that would make it so I couldn't taste it because it tastes really bad. And so I think the effort that we all need to engage in is that create the space, unplug from, as Stephen Pressfield says, bullshit ink long enough to figure out who you are and what you are here to do. But that again, that takes discipline. Anyway, I share all that as an extension of, I create the clarity. And then I have, I'm blessed to have the support of people who have more experience in different domains, whether it's finance or Phil, you know, his, he's done that as Ray Dalio says, he's done it more than once help someone lock in at a world-class level. He's believable, is what Dalio says. So I go to him for really big thinking. And by the way, he looks at the numbers I throw out, which I bashfully say out loud, and he laughs. It's like, dude, the universe is infinite. God's not thinking in terms of 30,000 or 300,000 or 300 million. You literally laughed at me in the last conversation. Now, 
He also simultaneously said, if you want to flirt with infinite potential, you better be infinitely small in the little things that you do day in and day out via the discipline we've already talked about. Like a diamond, he says, you got to have the lattice work. That pressure needs to be there, not once in a while, but moment to moment to moment. And it's like this, you know, correlation between the, the greater the ambition, the greater the need for unbelievable discipline, in, or you will blow up. And he says, and he's worked with people in very high levels of success who can't handle it. And they blow up and they spin out and they go do all the things that one does when they can't handle that much success because very simply, they don't have the discipline. They don't have the protocol and the practices um, to show up consistently to hold that much power for uh, you know, an extended, consistent period of time. I want to come back to risk, right? So there's this idea that I, I don't know what to do. I don't have any options. And really what that means is I don't have any options that aren't uncomfortable or uncertain or it, it, without any risk of making me look like a moron or failing or losing or going broke or whatever, right? So it's like when you put those options on the table, there's a lot of, we do have a lot of options. And so I want to come back to this idea of like, how do we assess risk? How do we find the clarity of the next step when that's what we're faced with? And I think it comes back to like, well, who's faced with that? What's really at stake? And with that, those stakes look a lot different depending on the altitude that we're bringing in, right? So that small self, big self. And I wonder for you personally, if there's any anecdotes or there's places where it's like, yeah, the risk looked like this at first and it's just like no freaking way. Could I do that? And then when I access this, it's like, yeah, here we go. I'm going to do it, but not in this idiot way. Like there's this yeah, idiot yeah. kind of, you know, yeah, Hey, Hey, yeah, hold, hold my beer. I'm going for it kind of thing. Um, <laughs> which from Florida, that's our motto. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not a good idea. So then, yeah. So thank you for bringing us back to that. And you know, the example that, that you used for me anecdotally and, and in my life right now is, is opening up, unlocking, optimize is what we called it. So the very brief context, and then I'll give the specific way that I framed the risk. Um, optimize, we've run for years now, tens of thousands of people have paid a hundred bucks a year for it. Millions and millions and millions of dollars of revenue, et cetera. Heroic acquired optimize. And once the acquisition was official, I needed to figure out exactly how we would integrate the two businesses. Now I had two conflicting entry-level products, the Heroic app, which will be like Calm for Heroes meets Masterclass meets Habit Tracking for Heroes, launching April 9th, 2022. Uh, and then I got optimized. They're both like $700 products. I've got conflicting products. And I knew that and I knew I need to figure it out. Long story a little shorter, I did my work. You know, I, I study strategy, it's a craft, and I'm, I'm passionate about it. And I realized, oh, shoot, as, as bold as it may seem, what we need to do is we need to fold it so that Optimize becomes our, what business marketing people would call top of the funnel thing. It's our free offering. It's how people learn about us, because that's our biggest challenge right now. And we know it's a world-class, we've been told it's a world-class premium offering, Wow, that'd be pretty great if it was a free offering. And I think by unlocking Optimize, we could catalyze Heroic. Then when I had that distinction, I took it to the lab. I do something very specific. It's called, it's related to the anti-fragility. If you swing hard with the beer in your hand, or you, know, you gave it to your buddy, you're not being anti-fragile. Because if you swing and miss, you might fall on your face and die, personally or business-wise. You would be fragile. Right? So imagine a barbell, you go to the gym, it's got weights on two sides. You, you, you lift on the, the straight bar. On one side, you need to be super aggressive 
And on the other side, you need to be super conservative. So when I did my analysis, I started with saying, I wonder what might happen if I unlocked Optimize. Maybe I'd get 1,000 new optimizers in a day. Maybe I'd get 10,000 in 10 days. Maybe I can get 100,000 optimizers in 100 days. And maybe I can get a million new optimizers in a year. And now I actually think I can get there in a quarter. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? God, that'd be cool. Because if I can get a certain number of those people into Heroic, I can do crazy things before we even launch Goosebumps. That'd be huge for our investors, for our movement, et cetera. Wow, super aggressive. Then I ran that up against the super conservative math. And I said, well, how much is that going to cost me? Because I'm going to have to give up revenue if I stop charging people who are paying us currently monthly and annually for something that, that costs money. So then I go to my little math equation. I say, well, I know exactly how many people pay us. I know exactly how much it's going to cost us. I know exactly how much we spend in advertising right now. And that risk is manageable. And I'm going to invest that much in October, November, December, this quarter as we're doing this, in January, February, March. And my exposure is going to be this. And I would need to make that in order to cover that exposure. And I ran it through my super aggressive, super conservative analysis, and I came to a conclusion. Then I went to my financier advisors and said, what do you think? I think this is the opportunity. I think this is the risk. And they all said, go for it. That's a genius idea. And I'll tell you what, the ones who didn't were the ones whose consciousness, and again, with due respect, because everyone's got their own take, but there's, there's an interesting emptiness to life where what you do is not inherently rich with value. An individual's consciousness is going to influence how they think about what you're doing. So I, I've shared a story in the past that once I had the opportunity to meet with a billionaire who was a big investor in my prior business, I told him my vision for that business and he had done big things. And he pushed me on and was willing to write a big check for me. And it was like my biggest support. And again, he was critical and all that stuff in terms of this and that, but he saw it. Literally, I went from that meeting to the next meeting with a guy who had achieved a great deal of success, but not at a billionaire level, right? He was in the nice, you know, whatever millionaire level. Completely different energy, completely different conversation. Now, again, there were valid, you know, comments and stuff, but I was struck by the consciousness. What was different about his energy? Like what, just a contraction? It was, yeah, it was like, oh, you know, whatever. What about that? And what about this? All of which was valid. I'm not saying that the criticisms weren't valid because they almost always are. But his orientation was not from the same plane of possibility that the billionaire's was because he hadn't achieved that level of success. So the billionaire was pushing me further in my thinking, whereas this guy was telling me I was already trying to do too much. And again, there were partial truths to all perspectives. This is why I caveated my thing with, I don't go to just anybody for advice on my business. I'm not going to someone who has never achieved at a huge level and wondering what they think about my idea as my first point of reference. Because they don't, they, they literally, they have not demonstrated believability in achieving that. So they're really not in a position to give me meaningful, really robust feedback on it. Certainly not critical feedback on it. They may be able to support me but again, not at the same level of someone who's been there and done that. Anyway, it's very interesting to notice um, that. But it's different than just like, I only go to people that agree with me. It's more of oh, understanding. No, I, I tell people, I, I tell people, I used to do that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but I, I used to have a fixed mindset and I was fragile. 
I didn't want anyone to ever tell me anything about my ideas. So I never really shared them and I kind of held them close to my vest. Now I do the exact opposite. Tell me what sucks about this. Now, again, I want to get excited about it. And after we establish what, what is possible here, tell me what could go wrong. I don't end a meeting now without asking that question with my financier team, especially. It's like, tell me what I am missing here. Again, I, I'm not worried about the scope here, although I'm often pushed on that by my investors who have are thinking bigger than me and challenging me to think bigger, while of course being disciplined on the smallest things business-wise and personally. That's where I've grown the most, is I'm genuinely curious. I'm genuinely open to feedback, but it's very important that that is held at a healthy distance, you know, that, that there's a level of who's giving me this feedback right now is I don't care who it is. It's running through their filter and they are inevitably projecting something onto what would otherwise be kind of an empty Rorschach ink blob of, of interesting, uh, uh, again, longer philosophical. Yeah, and it'll also this. activate their own insecurities too of like, it, in competitiveness, I mean, that's a whole nother interesting thing of, of, you know, I got people that are fully embraced and there's also some relationships where there's just a slight bit of weird, something's there, you know, is that what's going on in terms of, you know, awkward competitiveness or whatever? Yeah. You know, the thing that I'm aware of just even in my own life, but in talking with others is the, is that aspect of, you know, if I did that, I would die. If I did that. And usually it's but like, you want you to die. But well, see, so Phil's philosophy is you want to die. And again, you'd never want to catastrophically die. You always want to make sure that you're anti-fragile about it. But then you want to die little deaths all day, every day. But it's uh, also knowing what, who's saying and what, who's saying they'll die and what death actually means. So I'll die could mean I'd have to work hard. I'll die could yeah. mean I'll, I'll have to take some risks. You know, I'll, I'll die might mean, geez, they might think I'm a little weird for going down gotcha. this road. And a lot of times that's unexamined. You pull those out, like, what does it mean to die? And you ask them, he's like, let's list it. And they start putting, start writing them down and you hold it up in front of people like, oh, that's what I thought death was. That's yeah. kind of chicken shit, right? Like I'm bigger than that. And that, that's not really death. That's just a pain in the butt. That's, that's more friction than I have in my life right now, but I want that more than I want to be slowed down by the friction. So I think it's just really helpful to just examine that, that resistance, like what's really there, what really feels like a death. Let's go hmm. flat, you know, get the flashlight, look under the bed. Let's look at this monster right in the eye. And a lot of times there's not even a monster there. Yep. It's just yeah, more yeah. of just something that's a pain in the butt. And so I, I like this process of, you know, examining that resistance, really seeing if there's something at risk. And sometimes when I talk I, to people, I don't. it is, so this feeling is this like where you and I, this is where you and I disagree a little bit. I don't, I don't think you need to examine it. I think you need to step out and this is tool. Number one, bring it on that pain. That resistance is your sign that you have an opportunity to grow. And again, the discipline that I like is not what's the source of the pain or who's expressing this pain. There's a quick check on well, again, what you've said so beautifully, which is what needs to get done right now? Yes, I feel pain. Step back. Daimon, what do I need to do right now? Oh, I need to slow down and not take that next drink. Or I need to send that email that I've been petrified of taking. But my algorithm is I feel pain and I know there's growth. And this is Adam Grant in originals. You know, it needs to be a, a not a stop sign, a go sign. Like that's the that's the the motion to growth and getting comfortable. Again, this is trite, but true. Getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And again, not the 4,000% out of your comfort zone, but 4%, 4%, 4%. And that infinite potential exists 
right outside your comfort zone, which by definition feels uncomfortable. Again, it might be turning off your phone to hang out with your kids or sitting for meditation when you feel like looking at Instagram again. These are moments of pain and moments of death that, that are amazing and become, again, what does he call them? Green lights, you know, versus stop signs, et cetera. But for me, it's always been less analysis per se and more be consistent in the basic fundamentals so you can learn to trust yourself more often. Check in with that best eudaimonic version of yourself and then do what needs to get done discipline yourself. Like, to I'm totally on board. I, I would just say that I've learned as a coach that when the brute force approach of just go, that, that can saying, work for I'm a lot of even, stuff. I'm not even saying that. I'm saying the psychological orientation of seeing that this discomfort is a sign for me to do something different. And I don't need to understand the psychological origins of it. It's there's something here that's not working, whether it's my habitual behavior whatever. Well, uh, I'm, I'm speaking to a commitment, right? So if we, you know, again, coming back to this idea that we can have multiple commitments, right? I can have commitments to my daimon. I can be committed to also being really comfortable or looking good or whatever. Those are typically the things that are showing up for folks and just giving it 10 seconds, giving it a minute and just looking at it and be like, I choose this. And then there's a solidarity. There's a solidarity that happens instead of fuck it, let's go. And I've got a, yeah, I've got to a me, muscle. That was implicit. I appreciate you making that explicit. I in no way I'm thinking that that I'm thinking, take a deep breath because you've trained your breath and you know how to flip your parasympathetic nervous system and you can step out of stimulus and response and you can look at it mindfully, calmly with wisdom. And then it's, it's, it isn't that it isn't take my beer. I'm going for it. It's Daimon with whom I am connecting more and more often through my fundamental practices that may not look like they're connecting me, but they are. And then it's, what do you think? What's the right move right here? And we don't need to be perfect about it, but we need to more consistently ask the question. Then it's a graceful, energized, tranquil, calm, confident, courageous, wise move. You know what I mean? Not like- Yeah, and in your, your process, you might move. be doing that in milliseconds where for somebody else, it might be a minute or a few minutes uh, doing that. I mean, dude, it used to be years for me. I mean, like that, the cycles were yeah. very slow. So yeah, yeah. I mean, what does that look like? I know I need to leave my business or I know I need to sell to my partner. Or I know I need to get out of this marriage. Or I, like there's these places where it's just not like, hold my beer, let's go. But it is, I need to air this out and kind of figure out what this step is. Or do I give away my flagship product or whatever that thing is? Yeah. There is a moment of like, okay, what am I committed to here? What's the big chief commitment yeah, that yeah, I really yeah, want yeah. to play to? And so I do want to unpack that. I do want to give that airtime and I do want to appreciate Sorry. it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. No question about that. And that's what I was talking about of the well-rested, the meditation, the daimon, the deep work again and again and again. For real decisions, you got to make that. But the point I'm making is the micro moments of decision. Did you turn off your electronics and get a good night of sleep? Did you not turn them on so you can connect to the daimon? Then and those are agreements with the self. Like I just do this. And yeah, and then that's you do me. that that's consistently, and then I'm suggesting that, that then these decisions aren't so opaque. But of course, I spent dozens and dozens and dozens of hours strategically analyzing this decision, of course. But uh, yeah, so again, there's kind of the micro moment decisions and the little deaths and, and uh, the bring it on, this pain is setting me free. But even the invitation of the pain of the decision is in itself a practice of I can... You know, when I'm up at night, you know, working on an idea, which I am often, and I should be, I literally bring Abraham Maslow into my mind because his wife knew that when he was nauseous and he was anxious and he couldn't eat and he couldn't sleep, 
She literally said to him, something good is cooking, Abe. So when I inevitably find myself in that position, I used to think something was wrong with me or the business. Now I smile and say, Abe, we're cooking some hero bars right now. It's third Let's trimester, right? It's Let's like go. that second that. trimester. I remember, I remember Allison is second trimester. She's like walking around rubbing her belly. Like, this is great. Third trimester. Get this freaking thing out of me. I can't, you know I can't go two minutes then. without being, it's like, yeah. Let's, yeah. Go, let's go, let's go, let's go. That feeling so, is, I got, I got something to express. I got something to bring to the yeah. world and it's freaking uncomfortable holding it back. By the way, the best part of that story is you guys visited us during that second to third trimester phase. I vividly remember you guys visiting while she was um, that's so sweet. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, God bless our women. Um, <laughs> we, again, yeah. I don't want, I don't want to discount the depth of the importance and the nuance of the conversation. So yes, yeah. yes, yes. To all of that. It's more just the psychological dig on, Oh, this happened to me and whatever. And no, no. Who's your best self? Like just, just start acting yeah. in integrity with that more and more consistently. Cause I don't care, frankly, at the end of the day, what happened to you? I'm Take responsibility you. for your life. Step up you know, and grow up and go yep. do what needs to get done. Cause we need you to go do it for something bigger than yourself. And then it's not that complicated. Yeah. It's like, who's driving, who's driving the bus, right? Is it, is it this small part of me, this fearful part of me, I need to know. And a lot of times it's getting to know the cast of characters and like, you just know quickly, like I know that's not the guy I want driving the bus. So let's get back in shape, whatever I got to do, get back to my fundamentals, whatever these practices are and that yep. and stabilize that. But it does take a little while to kind of like just build that awareness of, you know, 100%. which clown, 100%. which clown in the car has got the, we got the wheel. And, but again, it's not from my vantage point, it is not psychological digging. It's eating, it's moving, it's sleeping, it's breathing, it's focusing your mind. It's doing the physiological things that drive the psychology that most people don't get. But zest is the virtue most highly correlated with psychological flourishing. So getting that right answers a lot of questions. And those questions that seem unsolvable, once you actually get your eating and your moving and your sleeping, and then your breathing and your focusing right, become much, much easier. So there's this paradox of John Wooden, put on your socks, because if you're not, you're going to get blisters and you're not going to be able to show up at practice. You're not going to be able to show up at the games well. So again, my advice is always big, 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 big opportunities and challenges. Perfect. Focus on the mundane Again, David Allen 101, the sublime comes through the mundane. And that's not as hard. It's not as hard to decide. I could do this one thing. Like that girl I, I asked, you know, the third grader, we all do things when we're on. When we are on in our lives, we do certain things and we don't do certain things. So the simplest way to simplify this whole thing is who are you at your best and what do you do? Do that more often. It may be hard, but it's not complicated. And we don't need to overcomplicate this. And we don't need to understand any of the psychological things per se. Let's just build the, and again, do the work on understanding how behaviors change and study habit change and, and trade out the Instagram time for the self-development time and all the obvious things. Um, but I think there's power in the simplicity um, showing up. More yeah. and more consistently, moment to moment to moment. To me, the the through the thread here is what has me access core self, period. So if it's these practices, great. If it's zooming out and just taking a look and having a conversation with myself, great. If it's having conversation with advisors, great. Like whatever it is, what helps me stabilize that perspective? What helps me actualize from that perspective? I don't give a shit what works. If it's banging antlers together, I, I really don't care. It's just like whatever works for you, let's do it and, and, and keeps you in that momentum, then I'm all for it. Yeah, again, throw asterisks around that. Yes, and, you know, I think there are more and less healthy ways to explore those realms, you know, like 
I think the core, core, core basic fundamentals are the healthiest, most sustainable way because it's easy to go do things that get you into peak states and you experience enlightenment and all these things, whether it's through psychedelic drugs or incessant retreats and stuff. And you don't know how to actually put that together and hold and make it a trait, as Ken Wilber would say. It's easy right. to get shot up at a cannonball and then land back on the ground. And we got to start building the scaffolding. And again, that requires humility to realize that peak states aren't what it's about. You know, it's about yeah. show, per se. It's about doing the little things such that, that again, states, traits, all the obvious things that, that, again, we've talked about for years. Again, be sure to take advantage of Brian's flagship program, Optimize, now for free. It's everything. All of his book summaries, the philosopher's notes, the classes, the master classes, the whole shebang is now free. Visit optimize.me slash the new man. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.